welcome to another edition of Packy Chat, episode number 19. Uh, as we're recording this, it is the week of Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving, everybody. By the time it comes out, we'll be way past Thanksgiving, but hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, can now move on to the Christmas holiday season. Anyways, uh, before I get started, I want to always thank all of the listeners and people that follow us on Facebook and the people that have given us positive comments on on Facebook and uh, uh, through their podcast carriers and wherever they listen to it. Uh, we appreciate it. It helps. It goes a long way. Also, as I have been doing lately, I want to push uh, our Patreon. Uh, again, if you want to support us uh, in a way other than just listening, and don't get us wrong, we love our listeners and you know, we're happy that everybody listens, uh, regardless if you support us on Patreon or not. We're appreciative. But if you want to do a little more and support us on Patreon, check us out at patreon.com backslash Packy Chat, uh, where you can be one of our supporters. And uh, that money for supporting us on Patreon goes to paying the bills here. Uh, it doesn't really go into our pocket to make us rich. It just... Uh, pays for our podcast space, our software, our microphones, and all that jazz. But currently we have three top patrons, and we're really appreciative of them. Kristen, Glenn, and Cecil. Uh, those three are in our top patron category, and uh, we really appreciate them. So thank you, guys. This week, uh, the four of us got together to talk about aggression. Again, it was something that was uh, suggested uh, through either an email or Facebook. I don't remember which. But regardless, uh, you know, it was input that came into us, uh, so we thought it was a good topic to cover. Uh, I know we've covered aggression here and there throughout the different podcasts, but this one is dedicated solely to aggression. Uh, yeah, and kind of how you manage it and, you know, whatnot. I guess that's enough of me bambling. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So I know we've talked about it a few times here and there with aggression. We haven't done a whole one on aggression, but one of the things we got from feedback was for people to, or from someone was to cover aggression. It wasn't defined really much on what they wanted to hear, but I guess we can talk a little bit about it and identifying it and managing it and whatever. You know, you have an elephant and you're doing footwork and it's in a port and it pulls its <laughs> foot out and it goes after you with its trunk. What's your response to that? Both immediately and then long-term and how are you problem solving that? Well, I think I'd, I'd break it down and say, okay, behaviorally, how would I would like to respond to teach the elephant? And then there's the, the life and death part of me that will respond in a certain way, regardless of whether I think uh, what I want to do. Ideal situation is I would, um, I would not want to react and draw attention to that and particularly either reinforce the elephant for doing that behavior. But I think that a lot of times unrealistic to, to tell somebody to stand there. And plus that could be very dangerous to say, ask somebody not to react. So I imagine I would, the first thing I would do is uh, I would probably react somewhat, either, you know, doing a barrel roll out of the way, moving my head or just some some level of moving away so that I can feel safe. Um, and with anything, safety should be first and foremost. So I would want to remove ourselves in the situation and then have a discussion of, um, and kind of break down what happened. Did we see any precursors with the elephant that could have shown us that that was coming? Um, you know, hopefully, you know, we all have something like an aggression log that we can re revert back to and see what's a pattern with this elephant. This is the first time it ever happened. Look at the the, the scenario of, of what was going around when it was happened, and then um, from there moving forward the plan to try to prevent it. I think initially my reaction would be to get out of the way, be safe, and then really, you know, want to, uh, before we engage in an elephant or put in ourselves in that same position, have somewhat of a discussion or somewhat of a plan of um, what we're getting into again. To piggyback on that a little bit, one of the things too is I think as an institution or as a program, you should have a, a strategy for dealing with it. And, and one of your strategies for dealing with it you know, in the moment might be not dealing with it. But the big thing is, is that nobody should be, you know, this isn't a rep, obviously a normal repertoire of behavior for all animals. We all should be expecting that this could happen. So we need to have strategies and how we would consistently uh, as best as possible deal with it. And obviously sometimes you're gonna be caught by surprise, but um, 
we should have some some I don't know say ground rules laid out as far as the some of the strategies you might use in a particular moment. And then to your point, you know, moving moving after after the fact, figuring out how we did and and having some feedback about what we might do differently or how effective it was or wasn't. And then what you know what kind of predict preventative measures do you guys take usually with an animal that's known to be aggressive for in certain situations? So how, how what does the strategy look like with that? You know, say you're going to do footwork again on an animal that you know acts out in that situation. <clears throat> you know, could you guys give a little bit of advice for a program that's that's going through that and kind of what you've done in the past to help kind of mediate that aggression in those situations? I think first and foremost, uh, when you when you have an animal predisposed to aggression, I think number one is you have to make sure that there's a, a level of safety in place. So for me, you take away a lot of the um, the opportunities for people to get hurt. Obviously, that's that's first and foremost. As far as what how the you know taking away um, the ability or the I guess the I don't know what causes the animal to be aggressive. That's a little bit more challenging. But first and foremost, we have to create safety. For, for both parties, animal and, and human. Well, yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, to kind of tack on what I said as well about um, having a strategy, I think that that is extremely important. So, you know, your trainers or your keepers know how to react when aggression happens so we can have a consistent response instead of um, the unknown and the inconsistency of that response could make that behavior uh, worse. I, I would agree that in cases where um, head aggression happen, um, we have made modifications to a facility. You know, if we've holes or areas that the elephants can reach you, we've um, decreased that. I found that by decreasing that, you in turn, I've seen the elephants react less because I think they're well aware that, you know, hitting a, a bar or something like that may not elicit the same response as if they were going into an open space with somebody. So I think I've noticed that has decreased it. You know, with, with a lot of behaviors, I think that the more often an elephant practices aggression, the, the better they get at it. You know, they'll get a better response from that. So initially, you know, you know one time I remember, you know, being a baby keeper and stuff like that, if there was an aggression um, towards you, there was a lot of macho happening on you know get back in there you know don't wimp out um and the idea is that you know it's okay to get back in there it's kind of a exciting or macho thing to get jump back in there and put yourself in that same position um instead of sitting there having to call your welder up or getting a work order in or moving an elephant to a different location um that was considered kind of a cop-out you know just deal with the situation right there but first and foremost i think that easily changing the facility, either by changing the venue to make it a little bit more secluded or changing a facility. I saw, you know, I went to one facility um, and the keeping staff and the manager were did all their own welding. And they did this, I, I, I wish I had pictures and I'm gonna not do a great job of describing it, but they kind of made a cylinder up. And depending they're doing their right or foot or right or left, front foot of that elephant, they turned the cylinder and blocked off more of the elephant. Um, and they was quite ingenious is that they created something. And with that elephant, when that elephant realized that they couldn't get to you as much or he couldn't get to you as much, it really, it didn't decrease, it didn't go away, but it definitely decreased. Um, besides doing those modifications to the facility, which in an ideal world, you put a work order in or your staff can do it by yourself and it happens in a timely fashion. Um, we've used some behavioral stuff. Um, a lot of us may have heard, you know, I'm gonna be a little nerdy right now that, you know, the DIR, the differential, DRI, sorry, differential reinforcement incompatible behavior. But we all kind of known is that try to get the elephant to do something different. Um, I've seen elephants, you know, a lot of times we have the elephants put the trunk up, right? That, that's something that's inconsistent or incompatible to hitting somebody if they're doing something with their trunk. Um, holding a ring, you know, putting their, their trunk on a, on a target or something like that to get that trunk out of the way, I think it's been really uh, useful. 
find you, um, you had to break your session up a little bit more. You know, if I'm going to do footwork for 20 minutes, I may not expect the elephant to have a chunk up for 20 minutes or hold a ring for 20 minutes. So you have, you know, your session shorter and your foot care bouts have been shorter. So you get chances for reinforcement. Um, if you're in a uh, place that normally puts reinforcement in an elephant's trunk or on the ground, maybe you got switched to throw it into their mouth. So little modifications like that. So my experience changing the facility or getting the elephant to do something behavioral that's incompatible with regression has helped reduce that. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head on that. What I was going to say is just being proactive, you know, versus reactive. Obviously, the reactive part is if you have a, a hot shot or something like that, the elephant strikes out. But again, I don't necessarily look at that. Daryl says that in the training thing. That's like step number six, and it's only going to work that one time. Um, it's not going to solve the problem, right? So I look at trying to be proactive, redirecting their energy. So like what you said, like uh, feeding to the trunk, there's so, some programs that don't feed to the trunk at all. But I think if you have mesh or something like that in that situation, I think that's a great opportunity to redirect their energy, feed them to the trunk. They're focused on you specifically. Another thing I think that we've done in the past is you know, when we know an elephant, okay, he's going to strike out at this moment, we'll try to jackpot that moment if he doesn't, right, to make sure that, <clears throat> okay, he knows that if he doesn't strike out, he's going to get a big, big magnitude there. So again, I think the common theory for me is just being proactive in a situation and trying to redirect the energy to, to have the animal focus on the trainer and what they're doing versus trying to strike out at the mechanic. Um, so that's kind of my short and simple response. Interesting, you said <clears throat> what you said earlier because as the initial the initial question that came up was, you know, in foot care, and I forgot about the uh, Hannibal Lecter cage for uh, that elephant's foot um, <laughs> because you know thinking foot care is probably the especially front feet is the one thing where you really put yourself in a kind of a vulnerable spot in a way that an elephant it can't be protected so much that an elephant can't get you. But I forgot about the, the foot thing that they use at Dickerson Park. That's kind of cool. You know, there's other things though, like I've seen a lot of places, not a lot, not a lot. I've seen places that I've been to that just accept aggression. You know, they accept that this elephant's going to be aggressive and they make no steps to try to, they take no steps to try to reduce it or make it better for them. They're just like, eh, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, as proactive as you want to be, I think you, you become proactive at keeping yourself safe, but you don't necessarily become proactive at trying to lessen the, lessen the fact that the aggression might happen. You know what I mean? And that's where yeah. I, think I think that's where sometimes some places fall short is that they're just, and I'm not saying the safety part isn't important because of course it is, and that should be the priority, but, but I, I have been to at least three places that just accept the fact that the elephant's aggressive and that's it. I've heard the phrase, oh, that elephant's sassy. Not sassy, man, I'm trying to get you. <laughs> I don't want to be in the hospital because, you know, oh, sassiness. But I, they, they can be sassy. I mean, everybody has their own personality, but it doesn't mean that you can't try to work through that in certain situations, you know? Um, I think, you know, we have some elephants have given the opportunity they're going to try to get you, you know, that's just their history and what they do. But in a certain training session, I think I could train that out of them to a certain extent, you know, if, if given the right reinforcement and the right reinforcement schedule, I think you can, that they'll understand that, Hey, if I'm a shit during this session, this is going to happen with certain consequences. Um, you obviously you're never going to get rid of it, but I think you can do a lot of stuff to mediate it. Um, through proper reinforcement and setting yourself up for success within that training session, you know? Yeah. And I also think some, some animals, you know, the, I don't know if it's our reaction or what it is, but there is some reinforcement to them being aggressive. And we have an elephant that a younger male elephant that, you know, you almost know when it's going to happen. We try things to, to, we change things to try to hope it doesn't happen, but it does. And, you know, he'll, uh, he'll work through a set. He'll make a, a half-assed charge or lash out at you and then finish the behavior that you, you know, you give him a cue, he lashes out 
without even saying anything, he finishes the behavior and then goes about it. So I don't know, something we've done along the line or something he's getting out of it, I think is reinforcing to him because we're having a hard time uh, extinguishing it or at least even reducing it, um, but it doesn't affect him. You know, he, he's not persistent about it. You know, it's interesting, you know, you talk about, oh, obviously somewhere down the line, you know, we reinforced it. You know, in, in my career, there's times where, you know, you look at a scenario and maybe it makes sense. So that's why the elephant did that behavior, be it aggression or something else, because the consequence was, um, was, you know, reinforcing from them. But I had situations before where an elephant, you know, tried to get somebody or, you know, you know that it was going to happen, but had no idea why, you know. Um, you know, first thing I questioned, you know, I asked myself, is like, why did that elephant do that? And, there's, and if it's not that obvious, you start looking back through your, you know, training theory and all that stuff, well, you know, you know, what happened, you know, is it baggage that they have in the past or something that we did? But it's interesting sometimes where I've had elephants before where, you know, you ask yourself, what did I do to cause this or contribute to this aggression? And you're thinking to yourself, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm just like a walking food pouch. You know, I'm not going to say pear or anything. <laughs> I'm a walking food pouch. Why is it that this elephant for some reason, rather take a swing at me than to then work with us. Uh, I haven't given the reason to be aggression, you know. A lot of people jump to the conclusion thinking that, you know, well, they're aggressive towards you because you're aggressive back to them and aggressive aggression breeds aggression. But I can't, I can't definitively say that um, just because an elephant's aggression is because they've had a horrible past or anything like that. It may be have happened. It may have happened. You know, there's times where an elephant has a lack of trust of humans or anything. But I've also worked with elephants before that haven't been in human care very long. Or you look at, let's look at your babies. You know, um, you know in your experience with the babies, do some babies come out of mom just angry and they're just looking to get somebody? Or do you think any aggression that you see in these youngsters growing up, um, there was a reason for that. You know, looking back, what do you guys think about your kids? I can only compare it to elephants that have been in minimum human care, but I've never had an elephant from day one and for any length of time and see aggression develop. Up until two years ago, I would say, no, I've never seen a young elephant um, that had a shitty attitude and then Two years ago, we had had one, um, and it's all on us. It's our it's a communication piece to us, where the elephant is confused for whatever reason because we're not doing a good job communicating what we want. But she's a shit. She can be a shit, um, and she does some things that I've never seen our young elephants do. Um, we've since learned to communicate better with her, but up until that one came around, um, I would say no. And then for me, and you said it earlier, the why, man, I never look at the why. I think sometimes the why sends us down the wrong path, you know, kind of kind of gets us in the weeds sometimes. I, um, I just want to try to look at, you know, what I can do, what I can change to make sure the behavior I want is what I get instead of, I don't focus on why it's happening. We just try to do things to focus on how to get better results, uh, how to communicate better to get the results I expect. Yeah, I agree because I think I think sometimes you know the animal gets labeled like, "Oh, you both wear baseball caps. That's why she's mean to you." And you know what I mean? It just it, I think it can kind of snowball a little bit. So um, again, I just look at the proactivity. And yeah, she was aggressive for this session. Going into the next one, what can we do to catch it before it starts? Um, but I know it talks about not looking at why a lot in the aggression piece at PEM, and I think that's a I think that's a smart move. I, I will say, and, and you did mention it, you know, look at your data. If you're really struggling with uh, reducing aggression or getting an, an understanding of how to get on the right path, you know, collecting a bunch of data um, and really understanding what the why might be, um, and you're only going to get that through a bunch of a bunch of data um, over time. And it's unfortunate that you know, it takes time and multiple acts of aggression to get the data you need. But um, 
that's the only way I would focus on a why. But in that situation, you still not going to answer the why, right? You're just going to answer, okay, you know, Betsy does it at the football, you know, because again, the why is tough for me because I say this all the time. I can't jump into an elephant's head and ask them why they did that or why they're stereotyping or, you know, this, that, or the other. Um, so, uh, I think you can solve a lot of situational things like she always does it at the foot bar or she always does it at, over here when we're doing the show or whatever it is. Um, but I don't necessarily know if you can distinguish the why without taking her and having her tarot cards read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's not, I guess the why, what would change for me with the why would be I, I might put myself in a better situation to make sure it didn't happen again. Well, I think there's something to be said, and I agree with everything that's been said about the why. I do believe there's there's value in you know some overt things that you can do to try to, um, I don't know, I guess maybe maybe prevent in some cases. But in order to solve an aggression problem, the why is not as valuable. I do believe though that there are things you have to you have to think about it a little bit, especially as you know from a safety perspective. And then certain individuals, why a certain individual might do something that another one doesn't. You know, it might be just simple as that <clears throat> that's been built into their behavioral repertoire at some point in time for some reason. So I don't negate the why 100%, but I do believe that if you spend too much time on the why to try to solve the problem and and totally fix it, I'm not sure that that's you know there's just some things we'll never know. I think. Re dealing with it realistically and, and um, um, setting both the the keepers and the animals up for success through you know how you how you try to perform things for an individual in order to keep things safe and a lot of times you know the the safety does create uh, a better situation because you know we talk about this a lot you know I don't like to give elephants too much credit but you also can't sell them short they also know you know if they're if they're an animal that thrives on some of this stuff and and obviously we've talked about that it's reinforcing to some degree they also know when when the opportunities are there or limited and and that can help so i agree with all that's been said but you know to to figure out the why a little bit to try to mitigate some of the and obviously some of the risk to the staff is is important also you know aggression can also if it's if it's um excessive can also get in the get in the way of you taking good care of the animals so you know it, it becomes a, a hindrance to you doing what getting done what you need to get done and the animals haven't done what they need for their care. So it's important to try to figure it out. Um, but we can't, you know, spend too much time on on these mysteries that won't be solved, no matter what we do. Can we uh, switch gears a little bit? And because we're talking a lot of elephant to human aggression. Can we talk about elephant to elephant aggression a little bit? Because when you guys talked about the why that kind of brought that up for me, because sometimes, you know, you'll see an elephant go after another elephant and one of the keepers will be like, oh, she doesn't like her because she steals her bananas or whatever, you know. Um, can you guys talk about a little bit um, elephant to elephant aggression? Yeah, I think from a management perspective, and I've said this for years, you know, everything that we do from a management perspective should be contributing in a positive way to what we want to see the elephants do with each other in a quote unquote normal uh, herd structure and their elephant time or whatever you want to call it. So there's definitely some things that we can do to support that. Uh, and I think there's other things that we can do to take away from that. And usually the, you know, the measure of that is whether the, the elephants are cohesive and get along. So one of the big things is everything that we do should be um, contributing positively to what we want to see. And hopefully what we're doing is not detracting from from that and making it more difficult and, and taking time away from um, the valuable time that they have or the valuable time that they could have being together. You know, I look at um, elephant to elephant aggression too. Um, we've all heard or maybe experienced some, some pretty bad stuff that happens to elephants when, when an elephant really wants to go after another one. Um, I think what, what institutions kind of also decide is what is acceptable or not, you know, uh, to have a goal of having zero aggression within between all herd mates all the time. So is that a reasonable goal to have? And is that something that you're trying to strive for? Or having like Thunderdome where you're not gonna do anything at all and anything's acceptable, don't know if it really gets hurt. On the other side, the spectrum may not be acceptable as well. I think a, a pretty, um, 
you know, a pretty in-depth discussion should happen, you know, with your team so everybody understands what the expectations are within the herd or not. And that could vary, you know, depending on not even whether you get new elephants or not, or even throughout your um, different stages of life, that's going to change as well. So, you know, if, if, if an elephant looked at another elephant and, um, and that's interpreted as aggression in the elephant trumpets or something like that, that may be acceptable to some and not to others. So for me, um, you know, we always talked about that we know our hierarchy at all. We expect that there's gonna be some level of um, pushing and shoving or something that we're gonna accept. And what we can try to do to help prevent that is not to put, set up a situation where an elephant will get reinforced for aggressing onto another elephant. You know, there's a lot of, you know, dynamic within the herd that we don't influence and that'll be more difficult to try to um, counteract that. But I think there's many times as well that there are things that we do inadvertently um, and unbeknownst to us that, that causes aggression. Again, I don't want to focus on, on the why too much, but again, we have to look at that, that scenario and say, when does this happen? Does it only happen during feeding time? It only happens at nighttime? It only happens before a certain type of day? Um, that, that will contribute to us knowing how much we're contributing to it well. So, you know, I think you define what's, what's acceptable and then um, try to figure out whether you're contributing to it or not and try to scale that. Yeah, and I, I know you talked earlier about like aggression logs and things like that. Do you would you do the same type of aggression logs elephant to elephant as you would elephant to human? For for uh, from us, we do not do have the same the same level. Um, where we do record if we find out that there's aggression that was beyond what our acceptable level was. So you know that's hard to define in words of what that is. Um, so we have discussions about when it happens, whether we think that's okay or not. And anytime we try to create an envi environment on the team that anybody thinks that any kind of aggression surpassed when we thought we have that discussion um, for that. So I will admit that it's not as in depth because we, we have almost kind of a zero tolerance for aggression towards humans. And we have a little bit more uh, leeway when it comes between elephants. Yeah, and and that makes perfect sense. You know, I think I think there should be some sort of log for aggression, elephant to elephant, but only if it is excessive or constant. And then the more we leave our elephants together, especially um, you know overnight and stuff like that, it's so hard to know what goes on when we're not there. Cameras or no cameras, especially now when a lot of us, and I know we're short staffed, no one is sitting in front of a camera all day to review what happened the night before if there's nothing indicating that we need to do that, you know? Um, so yes, I think there should be logs for that. And I also think they should have more leeway um, with it. I think um, aggression towards keepers should be a zero tolerance thing. We should know better to put ourselves in those situations and do whatever we can to minimize it. But aggression between elephants, you know, I mean, even, even to say aggression, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's right. I mean, look at how they are in the wild. You know, they're pushing each other around. Is it aggressive or is it just how they manage, you know, how they manage their hierarchy and structure with, with each other? And we have four, we have three young males, you know, that knock heads all day long. Is it aggressive? Not really. Sometimes it gets pretty, pretty rough and our guests might think it's aggressive, but I don't think it's aggressive. Um, well, I shouldn't say it. They're aggressive with one another. It's not aggression. Um, you know, and I think if the more we want elephants to kind of be more natural, the more I think we need to give them a little bit to work some of this out. You know, I think if we intervened every time elephants uh, pushed each other or, you know, did certain things to one another, I think we would be doing a disservice to the whole herd and the, and the structure that they have, especially when we're not there. The flip side of that is I see a lot of times, especially on Facebook um, facilities that are putting herds together and they kind of think it's funny when, you know, some elephants are chasing other elephants. And, you know, I've talked to, to Brian and I have texted each other and said, did you see the video so-and-so just put out? This is not going to end well. You know, you can see from afar that we're, you're, past the, the, you're past the aggression point of it and, and what to do with it. Uh, it's become reinforcing to the animal that is the chaser and um, a lot of times the elephant that is being aggressed upon 
next time you put them together, it's not that they solicit aggression, but their behavior and the way they act immediately tells that other elephant, you know, triggers them to say, I'm going to, I'm going to come give you another, another ass whooping. So, you know, there's a fine line between it, but I still think elephants need to kind of work some of that out. Um, if we're leaving them in groups and leaving them out the way we are, uh, I think they need to learn their own social structure to some extent. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, we do, we also have to, to that, we also have to operate under the limitations that we have, you know, to, as we've talked about in other um, instances and in, in other scenarios, obviously, yeah, there's a natural history component that dictates a lot of this stuff, but it also doesn't happen on two acres or three acres or one acre. So we have to take those things into account when we, um, when we're trying to create the best for our individual animals that, that we that we're tasked with taking care of and, and sometimes we have to be sort of ahead of what's going to happen because what is benign in the beginning can turn quickly ugly uh, or can you know the tables can turn when an animal's pushed into a corner for too long um, so obviously it's our responsibility to, to stay on top of it you know what might be good what's good today might not be good tomorrow so it's our responsibility to stay on top of it because animals that you know got along for years or got along for a period of time when you start changing the scenarios and changing the the makeup of the groups or changing the amount of time that, that they're together you know obviously lengthening lengthening it and things like that uh, we have to be we just have to be careful of what that might that might cause because usually in my experience, once the once it goes over the edge, it's it doesn't come back. Once 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 animals have sort of decided that they have a, a problem with each other, it's very very difficult to solve that or mend those fences for those individuals, which creates a whole separate issue um, with how we manage and the flexibility that we have. And then obviously, like I said, recognizing our limitations when animals can't be together, that actually magnifies our limitations. So we just we just have to be, try to stay ahead of that as best we can. Yeah, let me go back, you know, I was talking about what's acceptable. And in my mind, I was thinking about um, like intensity or the amount of damage or something like that. You touched on it. Um, it's not just the intensity or the potential for injury. Um, there's also the frequency. You know, um, if we look at um, like, you know, if any of us are taking a harassment training at all, um, there is... So we, if we uh, look at that, you hear the words uh, persistent and pervasive, you know, meaning is it happening very often, you know, is it widespread in all different areas. So I think when we have to look at what's acceptable, even we might say, well, that's not, you know, too bad because it looks like it's not going to hurt them. Um, we can also look at the, uh, not just the physical damage, but if there's any kind of social and psychological damage associated with that as well. And that's where the persistent and pervasive might come in. Yeah, the word, the word I think of when it comes to that kind of stuff is relentless, right? So if the animal's relentless after the other animal, then that's usually like what said is when it, it's going to hit that point where the point of no return where it's not going to work, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, just, like, just like in everything, we have to take our cues from the animals and, you know, and sometimes, let's be honest, you know, animals, as we try to mimic, you know, natural history and a natural group of animals, we, we have to understand, like I said before, under, uh, understand, and frankly, our limitations might be because our animals have never experienced those things and haven't had, you know, haven't been raised in, in a normal quote unquote situation and learned, you know, elephant etiquette and those things. So sometimes our animals don't have the capacity for that. And it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, it's, it's a reality sometimes. And also a lot of the things that they have to figure out um, are done in the in the parameters that we set for them whether whether physical or or again uh, under our limitations so as as they develop and as relationships develop we really need to um you know like i said before stay on top of it because once it crosses a certain point um it's tough to get it back and so the animals they communicate these things to us they communicate these things to each other it's our responsibility to take those cues and and act on them before things get uh out of hand or to a place that we're not very happy with. Let me throw something out to you guys. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that the reaction to an elephant being that, oh, you grab a hot shot, that might work once. So we're talking about where we thought that, you know, physical punishment is a response to um, aggression, where that works. What do you guys think about a different type of punishment, um, a timeout? You know, um, what are your thoughts about 
as a punishing a aggressive behavior um, by giving them a timeout. Um, I've used it, I've used it effectively, but uh, why don't you share some of your experiences, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, you, you, you already answered my follow-up because you said you used it and you used it effectively. And I think that's the thing, people do it uh, to kind of check the box because they don't know what else to do. They, you know, physical, physical um, reprimand is not in their repertoires. You know, they're not allowed to use it at the zoo. And that's probably a, probably a good thing that they're not stepping in to stop aggression. That, that's a good thing. Most places shouldn't. Um, but they don't know what else to do other than give them a timeout, which sometimes is reinforcing, I think. Um, so you said you've done it and it's been effective. So what does that mean that it's been effective? How do you how do you measure that? So I would you know I'm totally nerding out this uh, this time, but um, I think it's effective if we see the frequency of that undesired behavior, the aggression going down. So um, and that's a period of time. You know that's something that you might not see in two days or so. So I would say that it's been effective. It's because we've seen a reduction in that behavior that we were punishing. Well, I, I, I've used, certainly used timeouts. For but we would only know that uh, with, with, without those records. But go ahead, no, go ahead. I, I think uh, what I was gonna say is, I've certainly used timeouts as well. And for the same exact reason that you're saying, you know, to try to reduce it. But I think, you know, the, the consequence is there. So, I mean, that's the thing. You're trying to prove a point with the consequence of, oh, you lashed out, I'm walking away. Um, but your timing has to be right. And it has to be consistent for a while. Um, but I think, yeah, you just you just have to make sure you do it the right way. Because if not, then the elephant's going to say like, "Oh, I went after that person and they walked away. Oh, I got you." You know. So I, I think I think they can be effective if used if used correctly and use consistency within the group. Um, yeah, I think they can be effective. Yeah, I agree. The hundred percent, definitely. The consistency is the underlying point. You know, we always think about oh, punishment. You know, physical punishment that's so dangerous and all that stuff. But um, I think any punishment, positive or negative punishment, is is dangerous. Um, it may not be a physical danger to the elephant, but it could be psychological da um, damage to the elephant or dangerous to the elephant that would uh, exacerbate, like really increase the aggression through frustration as well. So, yeah, 100%, I agree with you that it'll only be effective if you are able to be consistent with it. So, like for me, I, I don't use a lot of timeouts. Well, so I guess for me, a timeout is, it's a timeout for me. And for me to kind of get a new picture on how, what I'm going to do so I don't have to give another timeout. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, I'm sure some messages conveyed to the animal uh, the way we do it, but I use them more for me than anything. Yeah, and I agree most of the time, but I think in, in, in the context of aggression, I think that's why the timing is so is so crucial because if you're going to do it at that moment, you really have to send the message of, hey, I'm walking away because you did that. Um, and I think that's where it can be reinforcing for the animal too. Um, I, I, I try not to use timeouts at all, really. Um, I try to redirect and, and try to be proactive on it, but, um, but we all use them. You know, I'm not saying, saying I don't, but um, but most of the time, I would say 90, 95% of the time when I'm using the timeout, um, it's cause I'm, I need the timeout, you know, I need to step back and regather my thoughts and what I need to do to, to go back in and be successful. Exactly. Training tangent, but. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We say, you know, well, I'll just give him a timeout and, um, that just sounds simple. Just give him a timeout, but then. You know, a bunch of other questions come up. What's what does that mean? Does that mean I turn my back and walk six feet away? Do I leave the room? How long is it for? You know, I hear you know people have a lot of discussions saying, okay, we'll give a, a five minute timeout or a ten minute timeout. Um, and sometimes maybe the elephants do know it's a difference. Maybe they don't understand. I had somebody tell me once that if you're going to give a timeout, that means you go for lunch. So you should be at least an hour or else it won't be effective. And that was just their personal opinion. You know, it has to be, you know, it's, it's not so simple to just give them a timeout because it can look so different to each other depending on it. 
But I, I've had this discussion with uh, one of our old marine mammal trainers, and she she kind of said the same thing, like, "Oh, it's an hour long." And and I said, "But at that point, the animals kind of moved on with their day." I think, right? <laughs> I mean, I know I would have if, if if you walked away from me for an hour and then came back and was like, "I was pissed at you an hour ago." I was like, "Okay, yeah, you know." Let's <laughs> but I, so for me, I mean, a lot of my timeouts are uh, I do a lot of neutral responses too, but. Um, but if I'm going to do a timeout, it's literally like for two minutes, again, for me to gather, regather and kind of figure out a different strategy. Because obviously what I was doing before wasn't communicating to the animal very well. So for me to gather and then go right back into it, you know, again, you know, we say this all the time, but it's a game that the animal should win all the time. So if I'm, if I'm, if it's getting frustrated or something within that session, that's my fault. And I need to re-strategize how to have, make the game fun and how to have the animal win the game, you know? Yeah, you, you mentioned to me, uh, you mentioned a game the animal should always win. You know, if, if us leaving the session and remove a chance to work with us is reinforcing to the animal, um, I can look at my whole, the whole picture. You know, yeah. why does the animal want me to leave? You know, that's, that's not, you know, if me getting out of their world is something they want, um, I might have a bigger problem <laughs> than, than just the aggression to deal with. Uh, Nick, you mentioned... Um, I'm reluctant to say this, but I think we should go down this because um, it should be talked about. The neutral response, big fan of that. Um, I'm gonna mention his acronym once. No. <laughs> no. We might never talk about it or no. just, just me I'm, saying that enough is enough. I'm deleting it if you do. Okay. Well, I got nothing to contribute to it, but somebody might be just saying, why aren't you gonna talking about that? I don't mind just calling neutral response and elaborate what Nick says maybe. Yeah, that, and, but I don't want to mention that word either. Right, and and so what I'm saying is like, and instead of giving a timeout or walking away because an animal did something wrong, right? If an animal puts the wrong foot up, I'm just, you know, there's plenty of times where I just stand there, let them put the, put the foot back down and then I move on with the session. Mm -hmm. I, I don't call it anything. All I call it is, hey, you put the wrong foot up. I'm going to stand here till you put it back down, and then we're going to continue the session. I'm I don't need the jargon for it, right? Um, you call it communication because that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. The, the animal understands how to communicate with you, regardless of what your response is, whether it's neutral response or what it is. I mean, they learn all this stuff from us. You know, whoever took the the one hour timeout, um, the animals learn that from them. You know, if, if I walked away for an hour from our elephants, they would find plenty to do to entertain themselves until I got back. And then they'd be like, yo, where you been? Welcome back. What up? You know, like, like, like you already said, they would totally have forgotten or moved on. I don't know if they've forgotten, but they've moved on from, from why I left in the first place. Um, yeah. So I, I hate to get caught up in the lingo of it, but the neutral response is definitely the way to go. And I've never timed a timeout to see how long it is and you know maybe the maybe that term doesn't even uh the definition doesn't match the behavior of what we do but it's short it's enough for us to get our thoughts in the right you know the right way to how to proceed um but it's short two minutes would even probably be long for us well i mean it, it you know we went down this rabbit hole with the term and of course it was going to happen and that's okay you know, for me is it's so many things. It, it can be so many things. It could be so many levels of duration. You know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's just a dangerous label to put on this tool that we use uh, frequently, occasionally, whatever. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's dictated by the animal, not actively dictated by the animal. It's, it's me responding to what I'm seeing when I've sort of, uh, you know, brought that tool out to, to be used in, in a training session. So a lot of times it's not, you know, walk away for X amount of time because that doesn't, that that's, to me, that's incongruent to, to what we're trying to accomplish if you're in an active session with an animal. To me, it's, you know, I may, <laughs> I may remove myself three feet away. I may just stop the session for a period of time and not, you know, not walk away. I may walk away and, and, you know, peer down the, the, the stall and see what that animal's doing as to far as whether or not when I'm, when I might end quote unquote, end the timeout. So there's so many, there's so many, there's so much nuance to the, to the term and to the technique that it's hard to, to pigeonhole it. Usually it's, you know, if you're trying to um, sort of Monday morning quarterback, what you did or why you used it, that's, that's where it comes out. 
um, in those conversations is how you used it in, in that moment or in that situation and how effective it was and what you might do differently next time or how you might even employ that tool differently next time. You know, I find a situation where we talk about, um, you know, we touch on consistency and stuff like that. And you said there's so many nuances and, you know, you as a trainer are going to respond um, to aggression, reading those little nuances and in yourself being aggression, um, consistent. I find it challenging, especially as your team gets bigger or not, is that you try not, in one way, you don't wanna have black and white and all these protocols, the way you react to it. Um, that's one extreme where you take two steps backwards, turn 45 degrees and everybody does the same when, it, when this behavior happens. Or the other side of things, we just say, do kind of what you, what you think, read the animal, react the way your animal have uh, and be consistent with that. But then, then you get worried about, you know, the, you don't wanna be strict black and white with that defined response. But on the other end of the spectrum, if everybody just kind of reads the elephant the way they want, that could really increase the inconsistency. So I find that trouble is how do you strike that balance? Because I think there needs to be a balance depending on your team, especially when you have different um, ex different levels of experiences and a greater number of team um, associated with that. Does that affect, and it may not affect your programs at all. It does affect the programs I work with. I'm just curious, do you guys have it, um, different rules as opposed to if you were just working just you and one other person with this animal, or when you get this really big team, you feel that responses to aggression uh, need to be more defined. Well, I, I think it definitely depends on the relationship and that you have with the animal. I think the way um, the way some people would respond to aggression or uh, might be different. You know, some people on our team with specific animals is, are going to just work through it because it's a rare thing. And um, like I said, generally for us, it's a confusion. It's poor communication on our end. Um, so they might just work through it. If it's a different elephant and a newer keeper, you know, we do ask them to kind of step back uh, mostly for themselves, collect their thoughts, see what they could do differently so that they don't have to give another timeout again or step away in the future. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's a black and white response to it, I think there needs to be a black and white interpretation on what you perceive as something that's aggressive, but the response I think should warrant some leeway because people's relationships are different with every animal. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think with, with, with obviously all of us have dealt with different scenarios where we can navigate that field, you know, and, and know in this situation, I'm gonna step back, in this situation, I'm gonna work through it. and you know, kind of reading the animal and what do they want? Do they want me to leave? So I'm not going to, you know, um, that kind of thing. I think for me that like the, the big piece of that with the newer keepers is the feedback piece, right? So, you know, when, when you know, it's the first time they've dealt with aggression or, or it's a new animal that they're training and there's aggression, then I think that's just part of our job as managers to be there for them and say, hey, you know, you saw this, this is how I interpret it and just really have a good coaching session with, within that um, to better prepare them, you know, because then, then, then it actually will kind of get more consistent. Everybody will still have that freedom, but there'll be the framework of, you know, you've coached them through these different situations. So they, they'll kind of learn when to walk away, when to, when to have a neutral response, when to, to just keep going. And the one thing I will say that that I, I try to really instill in in new staff, especially, is knowing knowing where you don't get caught, kind of caught up in the awe of working in front of an elephant, but put yourself in a spot that is, you know, conducive to your safety. For example, we have a lot of vertical bars, you know, 16 inches apart or something. We we try to train and do such so that there's a pillar a bar between us and the elephant we don't stand in that opening especially when you're working some of those younger males uh, if we're out of the cables you know use the verticals to your advantage to put yourself in a spot you know as mentioned earlier that animals know you know the more they when they aggress the more they do it the better they get at it yes and they know for the most part when they can and can't uh, get you they know the bars and cables are there so uh, it doesn't mean they're not going to maybe 
act tough, but you're definitely in a safer situation. I think sometimes the aggression, the way they latch out, the lash out is different because they know they can't get you. So putting yourself in a safer position is where we start be, before any of that. And I know it seems like common sense, but sometimes it's overlooked because a lot of new keepers especially get caught up in the awe of how cool it is that they're standing and working so close to such a an awesome animal that they they forget you know how close they are where they're where they're standing that, that, that's a great point and it's a super simple point you know <laughs> like where do you start body position thanks again for once again listening to packy chat you know i say it every time but you know packy chat is not about agendas or anything like that it's just a, a handful of guys getting together and talking about elephants and our passion for elephants so we're not trying to push anything on anybody uh, we hope that anyone that listens has an open mind and you know if you can take one or two things away from the stuff we talk about great uh, if it spurs on uh, some conversation in the barn or makes you think about things differently or even reassures that what you're doing is right uh, you know that's all great you know we I'll say it over and over we love elephants and we love to talk about them so that's what this is all about so thanks so much for listening to us, and thanks as always for supporting us on Facebook or wherever you listen to your podcasts. A couple things. If you have other topics you want to hear us talk about, send us a, a message on Facebook or email us at packychatpodcasts at gmail.com, P-A-C-H-Y-C-H-A-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll answer those emails uh, as soon as we can or give us ideas for future topics. And again, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, we are on Patreon now. Uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, and look up Packy Chat. And all that is is a way to help support us. Uh, you know, I know times are tough for everybody, and we're certainly not looking to make a profit on Packy Chat. But uh, there are some expenses that go along with it. Microphones, uh, software, podcast space, all that thing costs money that we're paying for out of our pocket right now, which we're happy to do. If you like us, like us enough to support us, that's great. You know what? And if now is not the time to provide any uh, financial support, we are so cool with that as well. Just uh, give us a like and share with your friends. That's good enough for us. Uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.